Row phone line on this Monday morning as we roll into another week in week 52. It's here. We're, this is the week. And on Thursday when the Beavers play UCLA in the Pac-12 men's basketball tournament at T-Mobile Arena at 2.30 with a 2 o'clock airtime here on 1240 Joe Radio, it will be one year to the date. When Jared Lucas hit his three to beat Utah. What, what's one year to the date? When? This Thursday. Thursday? When we play in Vegas. And it was a Thursday night, wasn't it? It was a, uh, it was a Wednesday, Wednesday morning. Wednesday. A Wednesday morning. But it'll be one year to the date on the wow. calendar, March 11th. I was on the plane one year. Yeah. One year ago it's Thursday. Amazing. So we're in week 52 of the world we've been in since. Rudy Gobert and sports and in the world Donovan Mitchell to shut down. Yeah, so here we are though in week fifty-two with a lot of things. We're grateful to say, even though we're still not nearly back to the usual, the normal, the routines that we have known as fans for all of our lives. We're not there yet, but we still have, and we're grateful to say, games to talk about, results from sports over the weekend, including. The most recent event on the Oregon State landscape was last night's game. Started in the late afternoon and went into the early evening. Uh, the Beavers against Oregon trying to spoil Oregon uh, in its chance to claim an outright Pac-12 title, and it didn't happen. And Oregon controlled the game, mainly by virtue of amazing shooting. 15 of 23 from three-point range. The game brought me back to... There's really only one other game that I've seen in my life calling the Bieber games that reminded me of that, and it was USC in 2000 when Brian Scalabrini and the Trojans came to Gill and hit 20 of 29 threes. The Beavers weren't bad offensively on their own part 21 years ago, and they weren't bad last night either. The Beavers shot the basketball extremely well, and they did for Eddie Payne in that 2000 game 21 years ago. In both instances, the Beavers lost by 13, 82 to 69 in 2000, 80 to 67 last night. So similar games, but Oregon just wouldn't, couldn't refuse to miss. And even when Will Richardson missed, he made it. He banked in a three. His fifth three banked in from yeah. nearly straight away. Yeah. So even when he missed, he didn't miss. So it was it was difficult to watch. I'm not sure. I mean, the timing was not great for the Beavers to take on Oregon, a team that was absolutely locked in and intent to come up here and with a fully healthy roster and playing the best basketball of any team in the league, beat the Beavers by 13 and controlled the entire game save for a little stretch when it became intriguing beavers down 26 to 10 and went on a 12 to 1 run to get within five but the theme of the rest of the game played out shortly thereafter pull within five dane altman takes a timeout yeah before a media timeout because the beavers were on a groove then and rolling three good another three good again and suddenly now it's back out again to double digits and it stayed that way essentially the rest of the game. Oregon never fully ran away. No, 16 was the largest right. lead. Never fully ran away. And the Beavers got it down to 10 after trailing by 16 and had the ball with a chance to get it to single digits and didn't. But it, it never had the look of a game that the Beavers were going to win on that particular night. No, but there are a few things you can take away from it. One, Oregon had all the uh, motivation in the world to win the Pac-12 conference. Yes. 
they also had vengeance on their mind because yes. they lost at home and they lost at home without three big stars. So they had every reason. Oregon State knew already they were playing on Thursday night as a five seed. Not to say that there were any excuses at all, but in the back of the mind, there's those types of things that are weighing on it. And the Beavers would have loved to have won that game and knocked Oregon out of the cha- out of the uh, the championship seat. Just wasn't to be. I do love i I love the uh, the response that Wayne Tinkle gave when asked about UCLA and will you <laughs> what do you take away from the first game and how will you look at that to prepare for this game? He says, "Well, for one thing, I sure hope we get to shoot more free throws." Right. <laughs> and it was a big disparity. Five of seven. Yeah, since uh, he mentioned it, I looked back and I heard you talk about it this morning on the Clue Morning Update, but on the postgame show, that was one of the notes we got too late, just r- reminding uh, our listeners on the broadcast what Wayne was alluding to. And it yeah. was a, a 16 free throw discrepancy in a five-point game that the Beavers actually had a possession late where Ethan got bumped a little bit. Mm-hmm. Not, it wasn't major contact but Ethan goes sprawling to the floor and as Wayne said after the game as he joined me from Poly Pavilion I know I know that we shouldn't officials shouldn't take into account as you have said many times they shouldn't know a situation quote Mm -hmm, unquote mm -hmm. a foul is either a foul or it isn't Uh, it doesn't matter if it's Larry Bird getting bumped slightly or Jerry Seasting. It doesn't matter. <laughs> He'll That's be happy the, to know you put him on the yeah, bottom. Yeah, but <laughs> but it does, in a sense, matter, John. That's all I'm saying. That you have Ethan four years in. They all know him. He's a guy that doesn't flop and play in it. When he got bumped by the UCLA guard slightly and went sprawling to the floor with the ball and a chance to beat UCLA at Pauley back on January 30th, yeah, no whistle in a game where UCLA was getting almost all the whistles. So that was disappointing on a lot of levels because, as Wayne and I explored in the immediate aftermath of the January 30th, 57-52 loss to UCLA, I do think, and maybe it shouldn't be taken into account at all, maybe the officials looking at that, John Higgins was looking right at it, a good official, very good official, one of the best in the league, Higgins was looking right at it and just kind of shook his head as if to say, well, that contact doesn't rise to the level of a foul. Okay. I mean, he he looked at it and said no. But in a game of that magnitude and a possession like that, you've got a, the Beavers running a play with a guy who's run that play a million. How many times does he fall down while dribbling the basketball? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is Ethan Thompson. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't Tariq Silver. It wasn't Isaiah Johnson. It wasn't somebody right. that they don't know. And so what I'm saying is a guy like Ethan, like Remy Martin or Chris Duarte or Will Richardson or other players around the league, McKinley Wright the fourth, do have, I think, I, maybe whether they should or shouldn't, yeah. have played enough, have earned enough credibility. It's a little bit like Ted Williams in the strike zone at the plate. Mr. Williams will inform you if that pitch was a ball or a strike. <laughs> Williams, when he would shoot a glance back at the umpire, when Williams would take a pitch and the umpire would call it a strike, and if Ted shot you the glance, the umpire, oh, sorry, Mr. Williams. I mean, it was almost, he had that kind of (laughs) reputation for knowing and commanding the strike zone. 
It's a different sport, different game, different situation. I get it. But a guy like Ethan Thompson probably deserved a whistle in that situation. That's all I'm saying. Had it been a, uh, somebody who doesn't play much and cast in a similar yeah. role and dribbled and fell down and lost the ball out of bounds, that player would be less likely to warrant a call than an Ethan Thompson or a McKinley Wright or a Remy Martin or a Will Richardson would. Which, uh, it's you not right, like, but it happens. It happens. It happens. Should it happen? No, no. They should never know. So the NBA, the classic example we've cited many times, yeah. and speaking of which, should anybody watch any of that yesterday? <laughs> we have open phones now. If you want to talk about Anthony Simons, if you want to talk about Lillard before half-court shot, I, I know nothing about it. I didn't see a moment of it. I had work to do on my own. It was all sort of happening yeah. while that was happening. So if you want to talk about what you like from the NBA, not NBA, the NBA All-Star festivities, in one day, feel free to jump in here, too, in open phones. But the NBA Classic, the hot mic picked up. I didn't touch him. No, you didn't. But that would have been the yeah. star's fifth foul. Yeah, you can't So I gave that. it to you. You can't do it. They do it. Yeah, I know. But you should not do that. They okay. should not do that. Well, okay, it tells me that at least at the NBA level, though, those jokers, those officials are aware of circumstances. Yes, of course. And I'm saying that John Higgins and Vern Harris and Frank Harvey III and Michael Irving are all aware of who's involved in every play and are should, shouldn't, but are more akin to give a call to a veteran player than they would a freshman they don't know anything about. Well, for one thing, you might say, well, wouldn't you want to benefit from that? Yeah, but Oregon State is never going to benefit from that unless you have like a, a Trace Tinkle yeah. everybody loves. you got to love them. If you don't like them, they're not going to get the call, right. even if they're a big star. Right. And it just over the years isn't that kind of a situation for Oregon State. So right. honestly, it'd be like balls and strikes. And while you were talking, I was just thinking of something. Would it be best to have a machine call balls and strikes, but the umpire there to do everything else? <laughs> Literally everything else. I know. I know. And, because and then you know it's a fact. It really was a ball or a strike. <laughs> we probably will eventually. Uh, you know, if, we, if you and I, 50 years from now, yeah. whatever, maybe sooner, we'll probably come to that. Yeah. Well, they're, they're using the machines for us to watch on television for Major League Baseball. Yeah. So no, I, I because of all the I won't like that day when it comes, but it'll be commonplace, probably not too far down the road. And because just as in tennis and other technological means of officiating have improved and it takes some of the yeah. the judgment out of it. But I just I also think it takes some of the the craft, the art, the romance out of, well, the strike zone today. I, I don't mind it, John. I don't mind that, well, that was a strike yesterday, You know <laughs> the what? same pitch. I don't mind I'll, because umpires have their own idiosyncrasies yeah. and style. I don't mind that. No, I don't game. either, and I'll agree with you on that. If they were to change it, it wouldn't kill me either because it's a ball and strike thing. Everything yeah. else, the, the human should be there. The umpire should be mm-hmm. there for everything else. So it wouldn't kill me on that. I don't mind it. But... On the rare occasion, and it doesn't happen often, when you get a guy that's going to hose you so bad like they did against LSU in the mm-hmm. World Series, right, right. No, then you, you need something because then it's a personal vendetta. On the, on the Ethan getting the call, that, that, that shouldn't happen. He didn't get it, but it shouldn't happen, and it does. Um, but back to the disparity. So now you've got a game where UCLA is, quote-unquote, getting all the calls. And that's a hard game to be in because – 
credit the Beavers in that game on January 30th for, for hanging around and being in the game if UCLA yes. is, quote-unquote, getting all the calls. That's true. No, that's true. And at that time, all of the conspiracy theorists come into, you know, I heard Passion Walton talking about, are you going to run a conspiracy theory? Because they were talking about yeah. lack of free throws or something to that effect, or lack of whistles. And Walton brought, oh, uh, Cole, you're going to go with a conspiracy theory now or something. It was kind of funny. <laughs> but we all are aware yeah. of the feeling that, that just on the fringe or on the outside, I don't think any of us ever really believed that there was a meeting before the game. I saw two officials yesterday as I was getting to Gill, two of the game's officials, Vern Harris and Eric Curry, sitting outside of the Dutch Bros across the street from Gill Coliseum. And I was heading in. It's, uh, it's uh, something I have done for a long time before Beaver baseball games and basketball games, sort of a routine that I'm grateful that still exists. Just get a small, usually decapped Jamo that late in the day mm-hmm. and just sit down inside if possible. Hasn't been for, for 52 weeks. <laughs> I, I know we had a little bit of an interlude where it was. But, but Vern and Eric were talking to one another and – you you know, I guess I should let you know. They were talking about, okay, who are we going to work for tonight? Who are we giving the calls to <laughs> they tonight? Weren't. No, they were not. <laughs> and I don't think there's ever a meeting where they sit in the, in the dressing room at Gill or anywhere else before the game and say, okay, what are we leaning towards? Who are we pulling for tonight? Who are we shading the calls to tonight? Clearly, obviously, no one would think that conversations that, no. ex, you know, that uh, explicitly take place, they do do, do not, we hope. But we all sense and feel that there's a, well, that's the team that's supposed to win, or that's the team that's carrying the mail for the league. That's the team that the league thinks could represent in a CFP scenario or a Final Four or could be the, the, the team that gets out in front. So there, we've all had that feeling over the years that Lute's going to get the calls, that UCLA is going to get calls yeah, yeah. more than the underdog team playing them. They, are we right to feel and observe and with our eyes yeah. to feel that? Do our eyes show us that? Do you think that's that's a fact that they do? They do get more calls than the underdog teams, such as last night the Beavers were against Oregon. I think so. I do, and I okay. think in the pro level, uh, certainly in the NBA, I'm not sure about baseball or football, but at the pro level, there's personal vendetta. I think that's true at that level, yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, who was it that hated Clyde? Uh, Jake O'Donnell. Jake O'Donnell. Yeah, I mean, was, I, I think... and he never worked a game again for that hatred, though. Yeah. He, his career, because he let the vendetta spill over into a playoff game, mm-hmm. he gave Clyde two quick tees that was clearly beyond the realm. Yeah. And the league called him on it, and he never worked in the NBA again. And there were many who came to Jake's defense and said, uh, Jake's a great official. That's terrible. The, yes, it's a player's league, but this is ridiculous. Yeah. And yet, you know, for Jake, that vendetta, whatever it was against Clyde, cost him his career. He wanted to keep working, and he never officiated again because he let the vendetta spill over. So I'm not sure that we that's an extreme example, yeah. certainly. But I do think those types of things do t- play out, and maybe even at our level, to a lesser extent, when some coaches are more apt to, to work and ride and bemoan and demean and, and all of that. Other officials, 
umpires, every referees all get to the point. Okay, that's enough. And human nature will say, "Sure, oh, you want that? You're not getting it." Right, right, right. Yeah. And and you know that that is a come and go type of a thing. Yeah, I'm all right with that. John, we're getting short of time here, and, and we have open phones and open text lines. Short of time in that we have a guest coming up. And we're hoping to hear from any of you who want to comment on the Beaver Baseball Weekend, anything else you want to share with today coming up in just a few minutes. Steve Tannen from down the road will join us. I don't know about you, John, whether you saw this or if anyone else did, and if you did, feel free to text us on the University Honda text line, and we'll share some thoughts as we're visiting with Steve. I got home from the game last night. When the Beavers went, I just, I want to come home and watch the game again. That, I had no real taste to, to watch it again. Right. So I didn't. But what I did see is I took, checked to see if the game got recorded and all that, turned on the television set. ESPN was presenting, and I recorded it and watched it. Actually, I saw it before I left for Gill Coliseum. So when I got home, I watched the 50th anniversary of the fight of the century. March 8th, 1971, and 50 years ago tonight, and a Monday, it was a Monday, March 8th, so we're on the same calendar as 1971. Monday, March 8th. Monday, March 8th, 1971, 50 years ago to the day at Madison Square Garden, the first Ali Frazier fight. Did any of you watch that two-hour special on ESPN? I was fascinated by it. I watched the whole, I watched every round. And the commentary and the features surrounding it. And I got thinking about our friend Steve Tannen, who was living in that, living in Jersey in that era as a consummate sports fan as a young kid. And when I texted him, he said that that was and is the biggest event of his sporting life. And he was wow. a young guy, I think eight years old, maybe nine, eight, eight, instead of 10 years old, actually. He was 10. I think he was born in 61. That was the biggest and still is the biggest sporting event of his life. And it was an era when he was a Knicks fan. And the Knicks were commanding the, the national sporting scene, winning the NBA title. The Miracle Mets of 69. Uh, Joe Willie Namath in yeah, Super Bowl yeah. three, Right in that same time period, of the, it happened after the 68 season, but the 69 Super Bowl. And Steve was a kid growing up in that era reveling in probably the greatest era in New York sports history. Even the Yankees winning all their titles in World Series, that's before Steve's time, but... That was all by themselves anyway. There weren't other things happening around. That era, right in there, 69, 70, 71, we want to explore with Steve next and, and hope to hear from some of you as we go today and this week who may have watched a fascinating special put together by ESPN. 50 years ago I hope they tonight. replay it. I hope they oh, replay I'm, it because sure I missed it. And it, I think you can get everything on demand. I want right. to see that. It's really well done and interesting. So we'll talk to a young kid who said he was a young kid then, still young at heart now. Steve Tannen will join us next. Kaylee Mitchell for the national-bound Oregon State cross-country team. They were selected to the Nationals. Kaylee, who finished seventh at the Pac-12 Championships on Friday, will join us at 12.30. We've got a few other requests out. Hope to hear from you and open phones along the way today. Thanks for joining us on 1240 Joe Radio.
insurance plan that works best for you. So if you're looking for auto, home, or business insurance, see the Unified Insurance Group. 320 Southwest 3rd Street in downtown Corvallis. They're your hometown team, always putting you first. Hi, this is Dave from Tom Water. WSU Press, yep, that's the Cougs, has just published my latest book, Lewis and Clark Reframed. In Lewis and Clark Reframed, we will examine how the famous American expedition was influenced by the British explorers, James Cook, George Vancouver, and Alexander Mackenzie, all of whom preceded Lewis and Clark to the Pacific Northwest. Order Lewis and Clark Reframed from WSU Press, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookstore. Your local Qdoba Mexican Eats plays an important role in serving our communities and will continue to provide access to freshly prepared food during this challenging time. While dining rooms are temporarily closed, all of your local Qdoba locations in Salem, Corvallis, Eugene, and throughout Oregon are ready to serve you with their same great flavors, making sure to take all safety precautions out of concern for their dedicated workers and valued customers. For quick and easy takeout ordering, call ahead to your locally owned and operated Qdoba Mexican Eats for curbside pickup. You can also use the app or order online at Qdoba.com. If your RV or trailer is sitting in storage or out in the rain this winter, let Guarantee pay you cash for your rig. Cash for Campers means no more storage and no more worries. My name is Bo and I live in Cottage Grove. Cash for Campers put over $10,000 in my pocket. We were waiting until summer to sell our trailer, but Guarantee gave us cash right now. Guarantee will give you $500 if we can't beat any Oregon dealer's written offer on your late model RV in good condition. My name is Jessica and I live in Springfield. Thanks to Guarantee, we no longer have a monthly storage bill and we have more than enough money to remodel our kitchen. Trailers, fifth wheels, toy haulers, motorhomes, they all qualify for cash for campers. I'm Paul. Uh, We have been stuck at home for about nine months now. Guarantee made it really easy for us. No hassles. They came and picked up our fifth wheel at our house and delivered our check. Text RV for me to 55678 for special offers or visit Guarantee.com. That's RV, the number four, me to 55678. Guarantee RV is here to help you put cash in your pocket. Kick off spring with a new Wave Runner from Power Motorsports. There's a huge selection of Yamaha Wave Runners in stock. Right off with a new 2021 EX Sport Yamaha Wave Runner. The Yamaha EX Wave Runner is agile, fun, and playful. Get your starting at $99.99. Take your adventures up a notch on the new 2021 Yamaha VX Limited Wave Runner. This durable, playful ride starts at $13,999. Join Power Motorsports Watercraft Open House March 20th from 9 to 4 at Power in Sublimity. Online at PowerMotorsports.com. I texted our next guest last night, then sent it to the wrong number, so i able to reconnect with him this morning in the text. I asked Steve Tan, and I said, I said in the text, well, when I got home, I had no taste, desire whatsoever to rewatch the rivalry series game that had just taken place, and it had kind of slipped my mind, so parenthetically, I asked Steve, did Oregon make any threes in the game? <laughs> Because I'd kind of already begun to let that slip out of the memory. They made 15, but the Beavers still end up they, leading the league yes. in three-point field goal three percentage Three-point field goal defense. percentage defense. And uh, it well, just, what does that say? It says I'm you're going sure. up against the best yeah. and you're hot. Yeah. But Wayne Tinkle did say that the guys did not follow in the beginning. They did not follow the game plan, which was to high hands and to get up on them at the beginning of the game, and then they yeah. hit a few threes. Yeah, they did. But, I mean, that it, it was painful to watch. But Oregon, you're right, going up against the best. They're the best team in the league. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And, and I think that team is equipped to make a deep run. I, I really think so. Healthy and playing at a very high level. However, 
even though Steve Tannen may have an opinion about all of that, what really provoked me to text him and call him, it's been a while since he's been on the show, was getting home, eschewing, watching the replay of the basketball game. I had recorded ESPN's two-hour special on the fight of the century, Ali Frazier, 50 years ago tonight, to the day, 50 years ago. And I thought of Steve because I know he was growing up in that era, area, and lived that amazing event as a 10-year-old kid, I believe, Steve. So that's forget that basketball game. Congratulations. The Ducks won, and they won <laughs> impressively. We may touch on it in the end of our conversation. But I was so glad to get home and watch that special put together by ESPN, which I found fascinating. But I thought of you because I don't know if you were at the Garden, but you were right there and called it the biggest sporting event of your life. So thanks for taking time for us, Steve. How are you today? Always a pleasure, guys. All is well down here, and I hope the same is uh, to you. the north. Yeah, and Steve, what about that? I mean, I, you'll host your show later today uh, on 95.3, The Score. I imagine you'll talk a lot of things, including the basketball game, but are you planning on, will you bring up 50 years ago tonight? What were you doing March 8, 1971? It was a Monday. Tell us a little bit about the buildup and you as a 10-year-old kid taking all of that in. Yeah, you know, I acknowledge the anniversary every year because 3871 is, to me, the biggest sporting event of my lifetime. You're right on the money. I was 10. I'm 60 years old now. And to put it in a perspective of buildup, and you, you get off the plane, you're in that town, bowl games, you get off the plane, you're in that town, and you see the signage. You know, the Fiesta Bowl is here. But you're only there for a few days before the game. This was every time I, so I grew up 12, 15 miles outside of Manhattan. We had season's tickets to the Knicks at the Garden. So we were go. My dad worked in the city, so I spent a lot of time in the city. And even though it's the magnitude of Manhattan, the Knicks were great. You had the Yankees, whatever. It was all dwarfed by the buildup to Ali Frazier. You saw the signage. There was no neutral. People I went to school with, their parents, their moms, who I didn't think would know boxing from lacrosse, had a big opinion about Ali Frazier. And I'll tell you one thing. If there was an Internet back in 1971 – it would have snapped in two. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Steve, what was your experience then? That buildup, thank you for that image and picture. But what about the fight night itself? What did you do? So, because it was a Monday, as you mentioned, and I was 10, my dad and one of his buddies went to the fight. Wow. So it wasn't like I even had an option to go someplace and watch it on closed circuit. So we had a station in town, still there. It's called 1010 Wins News. Give us 10 minutes, we'll give you the world. And so I'm sitting there with uh, this big uh, radio that my dad had, and I'm listening to it, and I'm getting the round-by-round updates, and I'm the biggest Ali fan ever. So the guy who was providing the uh, ringside updates was kind of depressing. <laughs> he was basically saying, because, and, and if you watch the fight, Mike, yes. it, it, it was 10-5 maybe. Frazier won the fight clearly. And uh, so I was heartbroken, but I didn't miss out on it. And like I said, we lived in a suburb called Wayne, New Jersey. But 
even in our town, there were posters up where they were going to be showing the fight. I remember walking into a place where my mother bought her meat, Alden Meat Market, and there was a woman behind the counter. And I remember this so vividly. It was the week before, and she had Fight of the Century, a T-shirt. And I'm like, where did you get that? And she had gotten it the week before outside the garden after a Knicks game. So it was just so all-encompassing that, like I said, people talk about the miracle on ice as maybe the biggest event, but there was no buildup to that. If anybody knows the history, mm-hmm. 10 days prior, the Soviets had crushed the Americans 10-3. There was no hope. It was only as it was happening it became big. But the four four-and-a-half-month buildup to Ali Frazier, the commercials, the advertisements. I mean, there was nothing like it. I don't even think there's a close second. It's amazing, too, that in 71, or maybe it's not amazing, I'm only four years younger than you are, that in 71, the, the, they had the technology and the presence of mind to make money off of it via closed circuit. I would have thought that, you know, thinking back romantically, everything was on TV. But they were smart back then to make some money, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you read the numbers back then, 300 million people watched the fight. It was only a year and a half before that there was the moon landing. More people watched Ali Frazier. Uh, They carried it on BBC. They said half of the U.K. watched that fight on uh, BBC. So, I mean, from Frank Sinatra sitting ringside taking photos for Life magazine to all the celebrities and the fact it was at the Garden in the Garden's true heyday, like I said, just unprecedented coverage and the amount of money. So the, the one thing I think they mentioned it on the special, that the highest paid celebrity ball player was Joe Namath, who made $250,000 a year at the time. Both Ali and Frazier, for then, got $2.5 million just for that fight. I mean, you want to talk about magnitude. Steve Tannen joining us, a longtime sports talk show host down the road in Eugene at 95.3. The score, he'll be talking about it later. You can pick up the signal here, up the road here in the Mid-Valley, and I listen to Steve a lot and always enjoy his work on the show and his perspective. You mentioned the $2.5 million. There's a fascinating story Richard Sandemir wrote on the 25th anniversary, and you know him well as the New York Times sports yep. media critic. I had never read this until today in researching a little bit, being stimulated by what I saw last night. But And, and do you know how to pronounce the guy? Is it Jerry Perencino? Is that how it's pronounced, Perencino, the promoter? I, I, I believe so. Okay. That sounds right. That sounds phonetically correct. Okay. The promoter, Jerry Perencino, and Jack Kent Cook put up the purse. And both Ali and Frazier, you're right, each got $2.5 million. In Sandemir's story from 25 years ago, he, he said that Perencino, after the fight, uh, saw a woman kneeling at Ali's feet with her arms around his calves, her head on his knee, weeping. Ali said... Diana, take a look at the man who paid me $2.5 million to get whooped. He was referring to Jerry <laughs> Perencino, and the weeper at Olive's calves resting her head on his knee was Diana Ross. How about that? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, the, the thing about it was that was really the last big magical moment of Frazier's career mm-hmm. because Ali had you know, refused induction into the military, been stripped of his title. Uh, Frazier beat uh, Buster Mathis and uh, Jimmy Ellis to claim the vacated title, set up this fight. 
he beat Ali. And if you remember, then the next February, he fought an American hero who had won a gold medal in the 68 Olympics named George Foreman. It was supposed to be a tune-up, and Foreman destroyed him. You know, the famous Cosell, down goes Frazier fight. And so... Instead of Ali and Frazier having the rematch in 73 at the Garden for the title, they fought for the right to fight Foreman, which led to Ali beating Foreman in the Rumble in the Jungle in Zaire. Then there was the thriller in Manila where Ali just beat the heck out of Frazier, and that was pretty much the end of his career. So everybody thinks, you know, Ali would go back, he'd reclaim the title, he'd fight uh, uh, Leon Spinks and win it. But for Joe Frazier, it was like, that was the peak of his career, and he would never recapture that magic again. Steve, you experienced the fight 50 years ago tonight the way I did, because Parancino, the promoter, did not allow a live radio broadcast. I think at the last minute, Tim Ryan was able to call it for Armed Forces Radio, and you know our people in, in the military did get to hear it as well they should in 1971, but there was no other live blow-by-blow on radio. So you and I, at the same time, were listening to the same thing. I was dri- We were driving down I-5 back from a trip to Reading from L.A. I grew up in Hacienda Heights, where Jared Lucas is from, by the way, but I, we're heading back home, and my dad and I were listening to those updates, and whoever the update person was, as you said, was indicating that Frazier was in control of the fight, but he was pretty animated he he was almost giving a blow by blow every time we would come on with these almost almost breathless round summaries so i almost felt like i was listening to the fight live did you get any kind of feel for that oh yeah um and, and you know feeling like it was just across the river and plus like i said the build up the tension even though Frazier clearly beat him. I mean, there were moments, it seemed like, in every round where you would be anticipating, because anybody who knows the history of Ali as a fighter, there was always that one minute, it could be at the end of the round, could be in the middle, where he'd have the classic Ali flurry, and he'd land a whole bunch of combinations, whereas with Frazier, it was stalk, stalk, just waiting on that left hook, which he finally landed in the 15th round. And by the way, perfect example for people who are listening about how excited it was it's 50 years later and i'm still losing my mind talking about it <laughs> yeah how about that it, it is an amazing event and i thought what did you think of espn's presentation of the fight 50 years later oh that was great joe tessator i think first of all he's a great boxing guy and just kind of mixing it in setting the stage bringing two rounds at a time three rounds at a time showing the interview prior to their second fight with Cosell, Frazier, and Ali, where they were watching it together for the first time. And, of course, Ali, just the eternal antagonist, got to Frazier so badly, they had a little rumble in the studio, and Frazier just walked off the set. (laughs) With Howard apologizing. Sorry about that, Joe. Trying to, you know, and Howard did a great job. That was a fascinating thing. I'd never seen that before, Steve. I was so glad to see that last night. Cosell just sits there in his chair and does play-by-play of the rumble on the set. Well, let me ask you something. For one of us, you're going to get in the middle of Frazier <laughs> no. and Ali and <laughs> But Howard was very calm and kept saying, I don't think this is clowning. Uh, you know, he said, you know, Ali might be clowning, but Frazier isn't. No, and, uh, you know, Ali called him ignorant. 
and there was, you know, a lot of racial overtones. And like I said, everybody took side. The establishment was more for Smoke and Joe. Obviously, with Ali, he was, you know, someone who fought, literally fought the system all the way to the Supreme Court. And so there was not, and it wasn't a matter of as they got older, Frazier's hate mellowed. I mean, their kids hated each other. Layla Ali, I think one of, Frazier's relatives, might have been his daughter, wanted to fight Layla Ali. I mean, the contempt that Frazier had because of what Ali said. And while Ali was the showman, and you never really know how much was serious, I'm sorry, there are certain things you say to a person in public that you really can't go back from. You can't take some of those words back. I have to claim ignorance. I was six years old, not into it until about four or five years later, watching Ali fights on television. And and I I love the idea of the buildup. I love the history of boxing. I don't like that MMA has taken it over. I, I the romance of it all. I get it all. My question is, and it's a it's a it's an ignorant question to you. Was that the biggest Ali fight ever? What about the Thrilla in Manila or the others? Or was this one his biggest, most notable fight there ever was that he ever had? Well, the first one was the first two fights with Liston to win the title and then defend his title and knock him out one round. Then there was this because of the buildup, but even though we would get Ali Frazier, two at the Garden for the right to fight Foreman, history may view the victory over Foreman as more significant because, you know, they did a documentary about it when we were kings. Then there was the uh, Will Smith movie, Ali. I think more people are more familiar with that. And then, you know, Ali with the famous, it's going to be a chilla and a thriller when I get the gorilla in Manila. <laughs> the last one in 75 was legendary. And I'll tell you what, it's brutal. Yeah. You, can't, you almost can't recognize those two guys after that fight. But, John, no, the first fight, if you were there, regardless of what history says, nothing like it ever. Mm. Steve, what did your dad say when he gets home that night about his experience there? Was that the biggest thing he ever saw as a fan? Well, you know, March of 71, earlier, May of 1970, was the legendary Willis Reed game. Uh, where the Knicks won their first title. My dad was at that. You know, growing up, he had been to World Series games in the 40s, 50s, and 60s at Yankee Stadium. But, no, when I remember we had an automatic garage, and I would always wait to hear it, even if I was asleep. If my dad came home from a Nick game or for that one, I would get up, run out to greet him, and we would talk about it for an hour. And uh, he was a little downtrodden, handing me the program, and I was like, I don't even feel like talking about it. I went to bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, you mentioned, I'm glad, there's so many other things that, that I, time will not allow, and, and I really appreciate your perspective on this. I want to get back to Willis in Game 7 before we close, and that era right in there in New York with the Miracle Mets, Joe Willie, the Knicks, this fight, all in a re- relatively same time period, Steve. That must have been unbelievable. I want to get back to the fight in a moment, but what about those events? Miracle Mets, Super Bowl three, Knicks win in Game 7 when Willis triumphantly hobbles onto the court, and then this fight. How, how, how good of a run is that to be a kid and a sports fan in that city? 
Yeah, well, I don't know if this is good or bad, but it turned me into me. <laughs> so <laughs> you can you can view that from through multiple lenses. And it was a time I know uh, Michael Rapaport, uh, an actor and a producer, recently did a documentary when the Garden was Eden about the great Knicks teams. But there was something special about being a little kid driving into the city, seeing the skyline, going through the Lincoln Tunnel, landing at the Garden and really feel like it, you were at the epicenter of the sports world. I mean, like I said, if you could hear it in my voice a half century later, I mean, I literally, I was a kid at a candy store. The candy store happened to be Namath, Ali, and the Knicks, and the Yankees. Yeah. And the Mets. And the Mets. <laughs> no, it's quite a run. Steve, the fight itself, I, I've seen it before, but I've watched every round on this ESPN special. I agree with you. The presentation is superb. It's amazing to hear Andre Ward on the set say the pace, the tempo early. It, it was it, when I watched it again. I was just astonished at those first few rounds and how much activity there was. What about the fight itself? Yes, Frazier, it sounded like Dunphy and Burt Lancaster early were saying Ali's clearly ahead or he's scoring more points. And I remember thinking, hey, what are they looking at? Because it didn't strike me that either fighter early necessarily was separating from the other. No, I think Frazier's camp was more realistic about what they needed to do with Ali. I think they they were of the opinion, you know, because he called it in the sixth round. That that mm-hmm. that's when uh, Frazier was going down in the sixth round, and uh, so I think there was a sense of if this goes longer, while Ali was known for his stamina. Frazier, if you look at him, I mean, you can tell he didn't take 12 seconds off in preparing for this fight because he was a knockout artist. But his endurance, I mean, he was actually the one which would become Ali's staple later. Frazier was the one, if you, for me, if you watched 11 through 15, he was, he was the one who was, I guess, sustaining better and, you know, finally landing that uh, left mm-hmm. hook. But yeah, when you hear some of the commentary, you're like, are they leading with their heart? Because right. I'm not watching the same thing. Yeah. I thought Frazier was a, it was a dominating performance. He won, you know, like I said, I, I thought 10 to 5. Final thing, Steve, and I'll look forward to maybe hearing you talk about this later on your own show uh, w- with the passion 50 years later that you clearly still have and knowledge, intelligence, experience in it. But the broadcast itself, what an Burt Lancaster. I love <laughs> Burt Lancaster. I think Burt Lancaster, I've seen just about every film he's made, and I think he's fabulous. I love Burt Lancaster films. It's a it's got to be an amazing backstory. He and Parencino, the promoter, were friends. Don Dunphy drew the line and said, Look, I'm gonna do no talking during the round. I'm the only one gonna talk, and he got away with it. You don't hear Archie Moore really much at all in the deal. And Burt <laughs> Lancaster. Only between rounds, Moore is just kind of a distant third figure in that broadcast. How does Burt Lancaster get the gig, and what did you make of Dunphy, Lancaster, and Moore as a team? Well, first of all, I had completely forgotten that was the trio. I mean, you have Archie Moore, one of the great pound-for-pound fighters. You know, he won multiple titles at different levels. And, of course, you know, Burt Lancaster, I don't know, when he was sitting there, was he thinking of his Moonlight Grand speech in a field of dreams? But, yeah, you, you can tell that it was a case of where the play-by-play man was carrying it and everybody had to wait their turn, which as an ace play-by-play guy, I'm sure you could appreciate. 
<laughs> well, thank you for that. Dunphy, Dunphy was a fixture in the sport, and I thought his call was was excellent, but I, I did feel as though he gave Ali much more credit just as an, an analyst, not just a play-by-play guy early. Uh, Burt Lancaster, actually, I was surprised when, when Ali did go down. I thought, did, did Cosell steal from Lancaster? Because I think you had Lancaster in the 15. Down goes Ali. Down goes <laughs> Ali. And I thought, oh, Cosell might have stolen that yeah. from Burt. Well, the thing is, Ali had the spectacular gene. So he looked better. But as far as doing damage within the fight... Frazier, I mean, when you see the uh, punch stats, which I had never seen, that really uh, astonished me. Ali threw like 800 punches. Frazier threw like 630. But Ali landed about 38%, and Frazier landed about 60%. So Ali carried the fight a little bit more and was a little more active, but not nearly as effective. Do you think as a New Yorker from that time that that fight and maybe some others – kind of was the 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 propulsion if you will to rocky and some of the other movies that came out in the 70s because that those all started in the mid 70s not long after that oh yeah obviously uh with rocky even though it was philadelphia it was east coast big city yeah but you know at the time historically the garden had probably Half of the great fights, whether it was uh, Joe Lewis, Rocky Marciano. I know they had other ones at Soldier Field and elsewhere. But when when a younger crowd hears of the Mecca as Madison Square Garden, they're like, the Knicks haven't played a meaningful game since the 90s. Who are you kidding? And, uh, you know, there, there aren't a lot of fights there now. And like you mentioned earlier, the fight game itself is kind of in the backseat to, uh, you know, mixed martial arts and UFC. But... That that's an interesting point, kind of set the stage, and of course, then everything would move west, and all the big fights were at uh, were in Vegas. Mm. Steve, I know you have work to do and an interview to do and a show to do later. Quick thought though, from last night, basketball, Pac-12, Oregon wins the title. I looked at that team last night, a healthy team, and thought that team could go deep. What are your thoughts about Oregon's chances to go on a run? Yeah, I know it's almost become a cliche. But uh, when March rolls around, if Dana Altman's team is healthy, and they are, I, I think they definitely could be viewed as a second weekend team. And as great as the transfers have been, Omarui and Figueroa, um, the, Will Richardson is now 100% healthy. He's running the show. He was the one who was going to take the mantle of leadership from Peyton Pritchard. And, you know, he didn't even play until five weeks. Mm-hmm. Steve, you're, you're breaking his yeah, you broke up I'm on sorry. us, and you need to go. Yeah. You have work to do. Thank you so much for a generous <laughs> amount of your time. Loved the you sharing your experiences that are unforgettable from 50 years ago to the day, a Monday, March 8, 1971. Thanks for looking back at it with us, Steve, and hope we can talk again soon. All right. Always my pleasure, guys. Be well and look forward to talking again down the road. Thank you, Steve. Steve Tannen. Boy, listen to it. You can tell he's yeah. living it all. I know. He's great. Now, Dominic, anybody else? Did anybody else live and experience the fight? Did you see it on closed circuit? Did you watch the ESPN special? We have some open phones. Love to talk about Beaver baseball, and we will as the rest of the show carries on. Get your thoughts on other aspects of the Beaver Athletic Weekend. 497-5356-1240, Joe Radio. Did you know that the Natty Dresser is the area's premier suit and tuxedo provider? 
We have a nice selection of suits in stock from Hart Schaffner Marks and Baroni Couture. We are also the area's expert tuxedo and suit rental shop. We can fit guys from 5T to size 60 long. Weddings, proms, and business interviews. We are here for all the important moments of your life. The Natty Dresser, purveyors of quality menswear, open Monday through Saturday at our new location on the corner of 2nd and Broad Alban in the heart of historic downtown Albany. For auto glass solutions, better call a glass man. Call 541-760-2277. Call the glass man. Hi, this is Jake the Glassman. Come see me at my new location at 3335 Ferry Street Southwest in Albany or give me a call. For Auto Glass Solutions, better call the Glassman. Call 541-760-2277. Call the Glassman. This is Mike Parker for Evenflow Plumbing, your trusted award-winning plumber for the Mid-Valley. Evenflow specializes in complete plumbing and drain cleaning solutions for residential and commercial jobs. They treat your home like it's their home, and their flat rate pricing means no surprises at the end of the job. Evenflow takes pride in doing the job right the first time. Just call 541-738-8853 for all your plumbing needs. When you need a pro, go with the flow. Evenflow Plumbing. Hey, Beaver fans. Over the past several months, we all have come together to help each other in this COVID struggle. But would you know how to help a family member or a coworker in the time of an emergency? Hi, I'm Todd Washington, owner of CPR Works, where we teach people the skills to help someone in the time of an emergency. I am currently holding both virtual and in-person classes for CPR and first aid. For more information or to schedule a class, contact me at CPR-Works.com. Go Beavs! Angry Beaver Grill is open for covered and heated outdoor dining as well as dinner-to-go orders Tuesday through Sunday. Get the favorites including Angry Beaver's Reuben and French Dip Sandwiches, Burgers, Tacos, and the Gables Recipe Chicken Bisque Soup and Garlic Croutons. Be sure to try Angry Beaver's Choice Flat Iron Steak or Salmon Dinner, available daily. Angry Beaver Grill open Tuesday through Sunday from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. for covered and heated outdoor dining in the back of the restaurant and for carryout on 4th Street in downtown Corvallis. Angry Beaver, thank you for your support. Trump's Hobbies has been serving the area since 1972 and is a proud supporter of schools, clubs, and groups throughout the Mid-Valley. Trump's has the area's largest selection of radio-controlled cars, boats, airplanes, and helicopters, plus drones, plastic models, model trains, fantasy games, collector cards, and modeling tools, parts, paints, and supplies. Whether you're an experienced modeler or just starting out, Trump's is there to help. Build it. Drive it. Fly it. Trump's Hobbies in the Temple Hill Shopping Center in Corvallis, bringing enjoyment to life. And, and try these shoes out. Yeah, right. It's yeah. pretty cool. Uh, fun, fun conversation. Be- I, I would hope, you know, <laughs> Tannen said, and it's an interesting way to look at it from a sports fan's perspective. I would be curious, you know, listening to, to Steve talk about, and if Dominic, if you're listening, and Maybe it's it's a little different if you're in a major league city like that with everything happening all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. So you have the Jets and the Mets and the Knicks and this fight, and you'd had the previous dominance of the Yankees. Tannen was too young to remember the Yankees' last World Series title, which was in 62, before they won it again in 77. But he's, he's a huge Yankees fan, too. But he was one when the Yankees 
won their last World Series mm-hmm. championship, lost to the Dodgers in 63 and then in 7 to the Cardinals in 64, and then didn't get back to the series until 77 when Billy the Kid ended the skid and the Bronx they roared, as Terry Cashman sang, and yeah, they did. But to grow up in that era, he he rightly, I think, said, that made me me. It's yeah. Living that out, and I just wondered... <laughs> If you know, I've always wondered. Sort of, uh, there was a movie with Peter O'Toole. I didn't think it was very good, but I like the title. Made, I think, in the early '80s, called "My Favorite Year." Oh and, yeah, and it the title itself is more interesting than the film. But if anybody had a favorite year or era, would love to get some texts or calls about it when we go into open phone. Some of the other requests we've had, and I've put requests out for other guests within Oregon State Athletics and have not heard back from anyone. We will have Kaylee Mitchell from the National Bound cross-country team from Oregon State out of Sprague High School. Kaylee Mitchell, the highest finisher for the Beavers in the Pac-12 championships on Puget Sound, University Place, Washington. She'll join us at 12.30. She finished seventh. And we'll get Kaylee's story. But if you have some time when we get into open phones, just about a favorite year or era that sort of made you, you, in your life, the things that bonded you to the Beavers, to your teams, that era, the Tannen that we just described with Steve is just, I can't, it's hard to imagine topping that. (laughs) <laughs> to have Joe Willie first with Super Bowl three, the Mets in 69, the Knicks in 70, that fight in 71. That's an unbelievable run. It is, and I, I wonder, I wanted to ask him this, I wonder too if that was what the Garden is living off of because it's done nothing right. since. Right. And yet it's hailed as the as the, the greatest of all time. But 50 years ago tonight, did you experience it? Did you watch it? Have you watched the ESPN show? Roll tape, please. Here's the microphone. Is this thing on? This is KEJO Corvallis. Everybody hear me? We're on in five. And QID. 12:40. Joe Radio. I'm Jim Chesko with Your Money Now. It's been the case quite often of late, technology stocks lagging the performance of the broader market. The S&P 500 is up just three points today. The Dow Industrial is ahead, though, by 433 points. The tech-heavy Nasdaq down 210, or 1.6%. U.S. oil futures retreated today. April crude sliding 1.6% to settle just above 65 bucks a barrel. President Biden's administration is launching a task force to investigate the recent hack of a popular Microsoft product. It's Exchange email software allegedly hacked by Beijing or backed by Beijing. The number of organizations affected by the hack, which included government agencies and businesses, numbers at at least 30,000. The hacks are continuing despite the emergency patches issued last week by Microsoft. Meghan Markle and Prince Harry's interview with Oprah Winfrey could end up being one of the more lucrative television events of the year. The interview aired last night on CBS. Early numbers show it pulled in more than 17 million. A lot more to watch at this evening in the UK. That's your money now. I struggled with symptoms like frequent gas and stomach pain for years. I was bloated all the time with daily diarrhea. At first, I thought it was what I was eating. I kept thinking it was stomach issues. So I did my research and talked to my doctor, and we finally uncovered the truth. It It was was actually EPI. Exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, or EPI, is a condition where your pancreas is unable to help break down your food. 
it can lead to symptoms like diarrhea, gas, bloating, stomach pain, unexplained weight loss, and oily stools. And EPI symptoms can be confused with those of other common digestive conditions like irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's, and celiac disease. So getting to the right diagnosis meant being more open with my doctor about the severity of my symptoms and how often they were happening. But there's good news. EPI is manageable, so don't wait any longer. Use the symptom checker at identifyepi.com and schedule a visit or call with your doctor to ask. Did you know that the Natty Dresser is the area's premier suit and tuxedo provider? We have a nice selection of suits in stock from Hart Schaffner Marks and Baroni Couture. We are also the area's expert tuxedo and suit rental shop. We can fit guys from 5T to size 60 long. Weddings, proms, and business interviews. We are here for all the important moments of your life. The Natty Dresser, purveyors of quality menswear, open Monday through Saturday at our new location on the corner of 2nd and Broad Alban in the heart of historic downtown Albany. Hi, this is Dave from Tom Water. WSU Press, yep, that's the Cougs, has just published my latest book, Lewis and Clark Reframed. In Lewis and Clark Reframed, we will examine how the famous American expedition was influenced by the British explorers, James Cook, George Vancouver, and Alexander Mackenzie, all of whom preceded Lewis and Clark to the Pacific Northwest. Order Lewis and Clark Reframed from WSU Press, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookstore. Hi, this is Matt Vaskersian with another little-known legend of sports. Who is the greatest outfielder in baseball history? Well, if you're thinking Ty Cobb, Babe Ruth, or Willie Mays, you might want to consider Oscar Charleston, a Negro League star who ran the bases like the Georgia Peach, hit for power like the Bambino, and fielded like the Say Hey Kid. Charleston played from 1915 to 1941 and is generally considered the finest all-around player in Negro League's history. His career average of 376 is higher than Cobb's, and Charleston hit over 400 three times in his career. In 1921, Charleston hit 430, led the league in batting average, stolen bases, doubles, triples, and homers. Charleston's blazing speed made him the finest defensive outfielder of his time. In fact, Hall of Fame manager John McGraw dubbed him the greatest player he'd ever seen. And although Oscar Charleston was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1976, today he remains largely a little-known legend of sports. Liberty Mutual Insurance Company presents... Okay, class, let's bump it up to nine. Come on, Limu, keep pedaling. We gotta build our endurance to let more people know that Liberty Mutual customizes your car insurance, so you only pay for what you need. Pick up the pace, bird legs. Hey, don't talk to Limu like that. I'm not, I'm talking to you. Liberty, 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 Liberty. Get a customized quote at LibertyMutual.com. Receive a $5 rebate by trading up any non-contact thermometer toward an Exergen temporal scanner purchased at any retailer. With COVID continuing to spread, nothing matters more than having an accurate thermometer that's backed by more than 80 published peer-reviewed clinical studies like the Exergen temporal scanner. Even after getting the COVID vaccine, you should be monitoring for fever to make sure you are protected. Keep your family and yourself safe by trading up your non-contact thermometer for an accurate temporal scanner and a $5 rebate from Exergen, where accuracy matters. Details at Exergen.com. It's time for the Joe Beaver Show on 1240 Joe Radio with Mike Parker and John Warren, a duo daily making tough decisions in the world of social media. On Facebook, you are unfriended. On Twitter, do you follow me? Yes. 
Well, stop following me. I'll have you arrested. Standing up to belittle me. Get these bums out of here. But appreciating those that get it. They ain't got it too easy, these fellas trying to tell you what a game is like on the radio. And always trying to win over the skeptical. There's a little toy you'll never have any use for, uh, the radio. Ah, yes, the radio. But not just any radio. 1240 Joe Radio and the Joe Beaver Show. And now, here they are. They, they, the ominous they. Mike Parker and John Warren. We head into the second hour, Johnny. What I like that. Uh, I like that at the time. I knew about they, they, ominous they, and then you started to watch the show. Yes. So now you too can enjoy the I meaning like of that line. Good show. <laughs> Hour number two of the Joe Beaver Show. Kaylee oh. Mitchell at twelve thirty. I, I have something. Yes. And we talked about this during the break. We were talking about the Knicks and that fight. In that era, 69 to 72, let's say, in New York, Mm -hmm. I was thinking when you were first introducing this idea and this special that ESPN put on, and again, I hope they replay it, they probably will, will. that what's gone on at the Garden in my lifetime, of course, I was born in 65, but since the early 70s, nothing. Since that golden age right there. (laughs) Yeah, because it gets a lot of play. Mm-hmm. It gets a lot of play in introductions and in legend and lore. The garden does. Mm-hmm. But in the 90s is about the, like Steve said, mm-hmm. you know, the Knicks in the 90s kind of approached some some yeah. success. But honestly, for a city that size, and it, that actually gets me to thinking about how bad the ownership is with the Knicks because they never seem to be there. They never seem to be a player for anything, good or horrible, just kind of consistently bad. But never the bottom, sometimes the bottom. It's just weird. Mm-hmm. So then it got me to thinking about, wow, if that's true, if that era of the early 70s and, and those fights even before that, as he talked about, all those fights that took place before that, was, was enough. Okay, think of those as like a bonfire. That bonfire still has an ember glowing for the garden as being a special place. Then that gets you to thinking, well, what what? What is the hottest fire that burned that still burns today or maybe out? And I've always thought about this about Notre Dame, Notre Dame football. It That fire was so hot for so many decades from mm-hmm. the 20s to the to 80, 1980, probably Joe Montana's last year in 79. So hot that to this day, we think that there's still some embers burning for the greatness of Notre Dame football. 25 years ago, if we talked about Notre Dame football, it was almost as if the clouds part, the rays yes. of sun come down, and the choir sings. Right. Now, it, it doesn't elicit that, much less to a younger generation that might go, Notre Dame, what are you talking about? And then and then it got me to think, okay, well, what are some other programs? UCLA. UCLA's dominance, and it, it its bonfire burned so hot under Wooden, not necessarily as long as Notre Dame in football. But with that consistent and all those, you know, 12 national championships. 10 and 12. Yeah. 10 and 12. That fire, that that had an ember glowing. 
but I don't think that is there anymore. I don't think, I think it is. The mystique and the aura right. of, the, of whatever, if, if the embers are giving off mystique and aura, yeah. you think those embers have Meaning gone Meaning that when you, yeah. when you elicit the term or the words or the letters UCLA, mm-hmm. I think we're all dying off. We're getting older yeah. to when that fire burned its brightest. Right. Does that make sense? No, I don't know. Does. 25-year-old UCLA, no reaction. When I'm 25 years old, uh, 30 years ago, UCLA, it's like, oh. Yeah. Hallowed UCLA. I remember when Dave Immel was going to go to to uh, UCLA from Glencoe or Hillsborough. I can't remember. I remember thinking, I I know this isn't very nice, but I'm thinking, how is he getting to UCLA? He's not good enough to play at UCLA. They were such a you know power of of greatness. Mm-hmm. And to this very day, you and I have lived long enough. I think the embers completely completely out for UCLA basketball as being special from the name by itself. Still seemed to be burning when Ethan Thompson went left at Paul on January thirtieth. <laughs> but anyhow, that's a good question, John. I mean, the, what what teams and programs still, once had a burning hot fire, still have embers glowing, I think is your question. What? Yeah. And you think UCLA is out and Notre Dame is out, but when we did, but it wasn't 21 years ago. No. When the Beavers got ready to play right. Notre Dame, it I was remember the just sitting down, oh my gosh. Yeah, I've Notre Dame. Canute, Rockney, Frank yes. Lady, well, how, how can we win this game? Yes, but, but you know what's <laughs> weird? 20 years has gone by that we've been doing yeah. this. It's a long time. Seems like a blink of an eye, but it's 20 more years of 20 more years of youth and, and a generation coming through. I think the ember is out for Notre Dame football. Okay. Good question. And, though, an and one more, the yeah. power that does remain the longest 100 years, the New York Yankees, because they'll come up with a, a, a world championship, world series often title enough, <laughs> often enough to yeah. keep you know, stoking the fire. Yeah. The Renaissance with with Billy Martin in the 70s and Billy and Bob Lemon, then with Joe Torrey later. Yeah, I mean, there's enough. There's enough championships and they stay relevant. Yeah. But good question. Interesting one. The other thing, John and and Dave, Dave, the other thing is. And what about the Celtics in the garden? Is that gone? Uh, yes, because... They're yes. not in the old garden he, he, anymore, for one. Right. And then, honestly, today's... But there was a mystique and an aura there around was, that for they a long were, time. They, they were in it every single year. And if they weren't, they were in it with Kuzi and, and Heinsohn in the 50s. And before that, and before... Well, the NBA's and, not and that Russell old. And Russell in the 60s. Yeah. And then Be- uh, Bird and McHale in the 80s. Right. And but it, and then is that out, out though? I is think Is any so. sort of Celtic no. burning ember... Gone. Nope, I don't think Out. that to uh, the average B, uh, NBA fan, I don't think who's younger than us, yeah. I don't think thinks of the Celtics the way we do. Yeah. And that's a great point because I've been watching a lot of YouTube reaction videos and other than the music ones that I love, I'm addicted to them, um, there's, there's NBA ones. And I watched one the other day where a guy was reacting, a, a young person was reacting to Larry Bird's greatness. Mm-hmm. I had forgot about his greatness. I'm going to say... And see, you, you're you're a, a victim of the immediate. I am going to say, we all are what you last saw. So what are you going to say? Larry Go. Bird is the greatest of all time. <laughs> I knew that was coming. No, he's not. He's really good, but he can't. Anyway, now, you see a show like that, and the way anything can be packaged up to look. I mean, he was phenomenal. Don't get me wrong. This guy that did that. But, the guy reacted to a video that was a pre-made production, mm-hmm. and this guy who produced it. Had had stats and and he had a script and he and he said very objectively, 
Now, you can say da 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 he goes, but I'm going to show you how, and all these numbers that were more than just emotion. It was, it was right, good right. stuff. I'm like, okay. And, and then watching some of it that I had forgotten, I'm like, all oh, right, yeah. now, and I always wanted, I always thought that Bird was the greatest, but then I thought, no, Jordan's the greatest. Right. And now I'm going back to Bird's the greatest okay. of all time. Okay, gotcha. See a special, uh, don't watch, <laughs> The Last Dance is not necessarily uh, adulatory enough, even though Jordan was in control of it. But the next documentary, you see, see one on Wilt Chamberlain and tell me what you have to say. I will. Okay. I will. It won't change my mind. 497-5356. John, a quick thought. We're going to go to Dave, but a quick thought from you about the sweep of BYU. I saw a little bit of and and spent a little time with you during the one rain delay you had in the Saturday game. This is a good club. It is a good club. It's a good club. It's an entertaining, compelling club that's always in it. These late-inning rallies. It does have overtones of 17, particularly, uh, particularly. Minus the power. 18 as well, but 17 when the Beavers kept finding ways to win games. Yeah. It's still constructed differently. It's not as good up and down potently right. offensively right. as those teams were. But, boy, that they're a fun team to follow here early in a huge series coming up yeah. this weekend. Non-conference, albeit, but Oregon just swept Santa Barbara in four on the I road. I know. You don't do that and, and not get a look. Right. No, it was it's tremendous. And I'll give credit to BYU. They're a tough out, despite yeah. being 3-8. and eight, They are a tough out. But you got you know guys that Beaver fan probably wouldn't think are going to be your stars. And right now it's a Wade Meckler or Jacob Melton. Um, and, and the regulars, Preston Jones is having the best year, I yep. think, of his career as a beaver. Mm-hmm. And uh, the pitching, the, the bullpen is as strong as I think there is in the country. The mm-hmm. starters, maybe not, but still very, very good. And, of course, Kevin Abel's could be the best there is in the country. And it's a great, it's just a fun team to watch. They never give up. And small ball is back. Last year, just it wasn't there. Things weren't. It was, well, it was, yeah, and you were down too many runs sometimes right, to even think about to even think about runners. it. But mm-hmm. it's like, honestly, get them on, get them over, get them in, and it worked out multiple times this weekend. If you have any thoughts about what you watched on the stream, listened to about uh, Beaver baseball, the Beaver basketball season in the books for both uh, the Oregon State men's and women's basketball teams with respect to the regular season and the women's run and the postseason. How good is Stanford? I mean, my goodness. They, I hope I hope they go on to win the whole thing. So do it, I. it might lessen the sting about the beatdowns that Stanford has uh, laid on Oregon State, even though the Beavers competed for a while in yeah. both. In the end, Stanford was just too good. They crushed everybody. But if you have any thoughts about the Beaver women's run thus far to get to the point waiting now for good news, on the selection show, the Oregon State men getting the fifth seed and the job that Wayne Tinkle and the Beavers have done last night's game. If you want to comment on that, feel free. Beaver baseball, anything else you'd like to talk about? Open phones, 497-5356 on the Downward Dog phone line, the text line from University Honda, 497-5356. I don't think we heard from Dave at all last week and kind of a Week interrupted with games and so on, but here's Dave back joining us from Tumwater on the Joe Beaver Show. Dave, good afternoon. Good afternoon, fellas. <clears throat> great dialogue uh, this uh, start of this hour and great interview uh, at the end of uh, last hour to show you how far Madison Square Garden has fallen in the kind of micro universe of the sports world. It's best 
known perhaps as being the venue for the Westminster Dog Show <laughs> than it is for prize fighting okay. or Knicks basketball. Mm-hmm. That's uh, true. So it, it's really it's really come down a long way. Um, when I first got to the West Coast in 1972-73, Bill King, of course, uh, one of the greatest announcers of all times, was doing Warriors games. And uh, Bill famously, I thought, always talked about the monster that was Madison Square Garden and the crowd and, and how perilous it was for a team going in there to play. Of course, that was the Willis Reed, Walt Frazier era. Uh, so it's, it's all of a piece. But, man, uh, times have changed. I, uh, two other quick thoughts. I, your concept, Mike, uh, about, you know, the year that made you. Very interesting question. And a very interesting question. And I think of myself just personally, when I got out of college, I knew I wanted to be a historian. So that was 1970. So in the larger picture, and until here of late, when uh, I really began to feel uh, up in my innings, I've always thought I was the person that I became when I graduated in 1970. But from a sports perspective, which I think is maybe more germane, well, assuredly is more germane, 1960 was the year for me. Hmm. Because that's when the great Wilt Chamberlain first came on the scene, the winter of 59-60. I became an Orioles fan. The the baby birds, Brooks Robinson, Steve Barber, Chuck Estrada, Ron Hanson, they kind of captivated me. I've been an Orioles fan ever since. And then that fall, 1960, a team from the Western Conference, because all we saw in upstate New York was Giants games. On the scoreboard after the postgame show, a team from the Western Conference, the Green Bay Packers, beat the Baltimore Colts, the defending NFL champion. Who are these Green Bay Packers coached by a guy by the name of Vince Lombardi? Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's that's when uh, I kind of developed all of my long-term sports affinities until my son went to Oregon State. And then I was there the night, Mike. The Beavers are winners. Yeah. As you called it, I was in the stands. I couldn't hear it. But that was a transformative moment. Lastly, I just want to say about John and small ball being back. Here's what happened, guys. And with this, I'll close out. You can talk about it or, or, or not. Beaver baseball got away from small ball with the prodigious offensive productivity we had back-to-back or for an overlapping for many years, Trevor Larnock and Adley Rutschman. You could rely on those guys for the big hit to crush the ball into the gap or over the fo- over the fence, famously, in many instances. Team kind of got away from small ball when you got some big whackers like those guys with wagon tongues and lashing the ball all over the, the back 40 there in Corvallis. So it took a while for Oregon State baseball to get accustomed to the fact that Larnick and Rutschman aren't in the lineup anymore, but I'm glad to see it's back. I'm with you, John. Uh, It's going to be a very interesting year for Beaver baseball for all the reasons you recount. Dave, great to hear from you as always. Thank you for sharing about your Peter O'Toole, my favorite year, 1960 story. Good to talk to you as always. Hey, have you seen the Ali Frazier show on ESPN? I think you'd enjoy it. No, I haven't. If I if I happen to stumble upon it, I will. I remember that fight. I was in grad school then. Uh, the big news in the Pacific Northwest that week, guys. You can bear, can if you don't trust me, you can verify it. <laughs> that is the week Boeing announced the huge layoffs in Seattle. This is the year of turning the last person to leave Seattle. 
turn out the lights. That's what the news media hmm. in the Northwest was dominated hmm. by that week. Um, so I remember the fight, but I had book book learning to attend to, as, uh, as, as Jethro might have put it. <laughs> Thanks for the call, Dave. I like how book Dave learning. said the year that made me, and that recaps yeah. what, the way you put it as well. The year that made me. Now we're talking sports, I think, mm-hmm. of course. Sure. Uh, uh, 1977 for me. Mm-hmm. I was 12 years old. Um, I was an absolute Sean Lee disciple. I just mm-hmm. loved him yeah. and listened to everything that he said. Um, and of course the Blazers, you're 12 years old, your team wins the championship. Oh. And f- that's, that was it for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when I knew I wanted to do this line right. of work right. and love sports. And it, it coincided with the, the, really the bonding with my friends because it's a sport, your buddies, you're hanging out and it's all about mm-hmm. that. That was a great year. That was a year that, that made me 1976. Seems like a thousand years ago. 76, 77, and June 5th, and, yeah. and that whole experience you'll never forget. Never. And it does get you set you on a path, no question. Now, as we go to break, the short game, small ball, all of that came to play in certain and important instances this weekend. And while we do revel and remember well, and Dave alluded to, the power and the glory up and down the lineup for the Beavers in the 2018 national championship season and the year before that when they were the best team one of the best teams in the history of the sport yeah even though they didn't win the national title to go 56 and 6 is still one of the landmark records yeah. college baseball has ever seen but in the ninth inning to stay alive it was the short game it mm-hmm. was small ball that got the beavers into a position to have Zach Taylor have the best at-bat of his life and draw a walk, and for Andy Armstrong and a pitch up and in to be able to get the barrel out and get the bunt down, moved Zach Clayton to second. Caden eventually drives him in. Larnick then hits the home run, but mm-hmm. small ball, it was always alive, even if Pat didn't use it as much, and he didn't need to in 17-18, but when he needed to in 18 down near the bottom of the order, Zach draws a walk, and Andy bunts him over. Small ball lived in the championship game, game two, and when the Beavers needed it, they could execute it. They had it at that time. Of course, it was Pat Casey coach teams, and we're, we're seeing that now this year with Mitch Canham. Um, they always had it because they yeah. work on it so right. much. So, yeah, okay, Larnick or, or someone else, mm-hmm. Rutschman, comes up, you, the, the, the home run will be in play or the, the big drive, but – Everybody else, small balls always in play and mix the two and that and you come up with ridiculously two 23 game winning streaks yeah. that season. <laughs> Let's break any thoughts on any of this. Feel free to jump in. 4975356. Was there a year or an era that made you, in a very real sense, not only a sports fan, but just kind of made you <laughs> your way of viewing the world and looking at it? I I've shared many times, and I'll, you know, 66, 67, listening to everything on the radio. Those are the years that got me on a track to mm-hmm. want to do this professionally. And so, in a very real sense, 
those are years that made me for ten good or years, bad. Ten years before yeah. me. Let's break. Any thoughts on that? 497-5356-1240 Joe Radio. Locally owned and operated for over 30 years, Corvallis Floor Covering would like to thank their many friends and customers for your continued support and looks forward to working with you on your next remodeling project. Stop by and see Wendy, Robin, or Brian and check out their large showroom with a wide variety of carpet, vinyl, laminate, tile, wood floorings, and window coverings from all the popular brands. Corvallis Floor Covering is at the corner of 2nd and Van Buren downtown or log on to CorvallisFloorCovering.com. Shop local, shop Corvallis Floor Covering and go Beavs. This is Mike Parker for Evenflow Plumbing, your trusted award-winning plumber for the Mid-Valley. Evenflow specializes in complete plumbing and drain cleaning solutions for residential and commercial jobs. They treat your home like it's their home, and their flat rate pricing means no surprises at the end of the job. Evenflow takes pride in doing the job right the first time. Just call 541-738-8853 for all your plumbing needs. When you need a pro, go with the flow. Evenflow Plumbing. Hi, this is Dave from Tom Water. WSU Press, yep, that's the Cougs, has just published my latest book, Lewis and Clark Reframed. In Lewis and Clark Reframed, we will examine how the famous American expedition was influenced by the British explorers, James Cook, George Vancouver, and Alexander Mackenzie, all of whom preceded Lewis and Clark to the Pacific Northwest. Order Lewis and Clark Reframed from WSU Press, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookstore. Bowl is now open daily from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., offering limited recreational bowling, lottery games, and food to go. Reservations for bowling are recommended. Call 541-753-6161. That's 753-6161. Highland Bowl, North 9th Street, Corvallis. We set them up. You knock them down. Hey, Beaver Nation, this is Mike Parker. I want to talk about my experience at the Barbers in Corvallis. Rachel at the Barbers has been cutting what hair I have for many years. Not only do I get a great haircut, but also a hot leather neck shave, a shampoo and scalp massage, a soothing neck and shoulder massage, free popcorn and soda, a TV at every station to watch all the games. Discover for yourself why over 2,000 guys a month go to the Barbers. Check them out on 9th Street in Corvallis, the Barbers, where I go and guys go for great cuts. Hi, I'm former Oregon State athlete Tim Ewis, your Corvallis Edward Jones financial advisor. Financial investments are very important, but so are the investments of time, patience, and encouragement our young athletes receive from their coaches, teachers, and mentors. That's why Edward Jones is a proud sponsor of Oregon State and area high school sports. Call me, Tim Ewis, at 541-758-8245 or stop by my office in the Timber Hill Shopping Complex in Corvallis for all of your investment needs. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member all right. SIPC. I think you'll be doing baseball Go Friday. Bees. That's the point. Sorry, I jumped over that last part, Tim. But, uh, uh, well... Yes, because I think the Beavers are going to beat UCLA. They have a really good chance of beating UCLA. I think UCLA is kind of fading. Or they can. lost three games in a row blowing leads late. Yeah, and where's their heart going to be? Right. Where's their heart going to be? Where's anybody's heart going to be that's not viable for something uh, in this tournament? Well, the one thing, The though, Beavers may not be viable for a tournament unless you win the whole thing, right. but their heart's going to be in it because they, they want to finish strong going into the next year. Now, you could say that about everybody, but I don't know about UCLA. The one thing the Beavers will get, though, if, if UCLA has moved from a lock, surefire lock to the tournament mm-hmm. with the three straight losses. 
to a bubble in a sense. I think they're still in, but if they lose to the Beavers, then even that status gets not to say lose to the Beavers. No, like no, it's no, a, no. Just uh, take another loss. Just well, take then, another okay, loss. Then I think they're, they're in trouble. So they'll be highly motivated if they are, and you take their best shot. It'll be a good game. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good game regardless. Um, the Beavers are played them very competitively at Poly, oh, and had a good chance to win it. So, you know, in a neutral site, the Beavers are good enough. They've shown it. We got a text on the University Honda text line with uh, a conceptual question, which I appreciated, about Wayne Tinkle. He said, Wayne's done a great job, but he said, doesn't the 1-3-1 put too much emphasis on, you know, kind of corralling players out front, I think was the nature of the text. Too, too high. Too high. Leaving then, if they get the pass over it, yes, to, the guy's wide open threes. on the wing. Okay, now. That probably did happen a couple of times against the 1-3-1, but the Beavers didn't go to the 1-3-1 until pretty late. Right. So in answer to that... Plus they didn't use it very long. It was no, just a couple no, of sequences. And it's not something you can live off of for an entire game, at least... You know, I know Craig Robinson ran a 1-3-1 yeah. pretty effectively With for some David games. With David Lucas at the point. And, uh, and it was effective for longer stretch, but... I. The Beavers, when they went to their one-three-one yesterday, actually created a couple of a little created some disruption for Oregon's offense. Alatiche with a steal out front, then another stop and another run out, and they cut a fifteen-point lead to ten using it. Yeah. But Oregon then did solve it a little bit as they solved everything else. So they so maybe what your point is in the text on the University Honda text line is accurate that they got too far out and thus vulnerable yeah. to open corner threes. But no matter what defense the Beavers ran yesterday, Oregon shredded it with threes, 15 of them. But as Wayne said, even even some of those, the closeouts were not properly executed in terms of fundamentals with hands high and right, getting right. to shooters in a, in a more urgent and proper technique manner. Oregon was red hot. It's the best game they've had and all year. And coming in, they've been hot from three. And they've three. been hot from three. Will Richardson had his best game of his life from beyond the line and a career high in points. So they, they were locked in, laser-focused. They wanted to win a Pac-12 title outright and did. They deserved it. They played well. But as Wayne pointed out, statistically, a lot of the other categories were pretty much even the three-point shooting. Oregon 15 of 23, Beavers 4 of 17, and therein was the difference. You right. lose by 13. Right. Right. The Beavers did a lot of other things pretty well. Outscored them in the paint, outscored them in points off of turnovers. And for as hot as they were from three, they could never get any further than 16-point lead, and that was early. Right. And So the Beavers hung in enough, but I think the matchup with UCLA for the Beavers is better Right now, anybody playing Oregon, uh, although it's interesting. You know who's a a mercurial team is Arizona State. Yeah. Washington State and Arizona State, they both are. They play each other, then Oregon will play the winner of that. Right. If Arizona State wins and plays Oregon, it wouldn't be utterly shocking to me to see. And then the Beavers, if they beat UCLA, would get the winner of the Oregon, Arizona State, or Washington State game in the mm-hmm. next round. Right. And if it's Arizona State finding <laughs> I mean, what I'm saying is I think you may have a good baseball weekend again on your plate with Oregon coming to town, Doc. And be ready. Be ready. Because <coughs> I'm going to stay with basketball until it's through, and the Beavs may get all the way into the championship game. I, I think it's possible. So be, re- be prepared, as Tom Lehrer and the Boy Scouts would say. We have a special guest coming up in a moment. Who do we got here on the fan? Paul. 
Okay, we'll get a quick thought from Paul. We'll break and come back with Kaylee Mitchell. Paul, good afternoon. Welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. Hey, hey, Mike and John. Man, the first thing that I noticed last night after about the first three minutes of that game was the defense that Oregon was playing. We couldn't even get a pass to another player. I mean, it was like it was down to 10 seconds on the shot clock before we even got a pass off. Yeah, it was very good defense. They're long and athletic, and they're a veteran team. That's a good team, Paul. They played the game last night superbly at both ends. Oh, there's no doubt about it, and they were just unconscious hitting the threes. And yep. There's no way they're going to be that hot yep. you know, the next game. That's right. No, they won't be. That's true. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Paul. Let's break. Paul is right. Oregon played well at both ends. They're the best team in the league right now. But the Beavs wouldn't mind getting another crack and another shot at them in Vegas. And the Beavs, I think, have a good look at beating UCLA on Thursday at 2.30. We'll be on the air at 2 o'clock right here. Kaylee Mitchell joins us next. She's part of a team going to the Nationals. Oregon State Cross Country selected uh, yesterday. Kaylee joins us next on 1240 Joe Radio. Middleton Heating has been here helping you for over 71 years, 24 hours a day. Middleton can repair, replace, or maintain all types of heating and cooling equipment. Heating unit troubling you? Need repairs or replacement? Give Middleton Heating a call. For new equipment, Middleton offers several financing options and participates in state, federal, and manufacturing incentive programs. Don't forget Middleton's custom sheet metal shop is still taking orders, large or small. You can count on Middleton for all your heating cooling and sheet metal needs online at middletonheating.net kick off spring with a new wave runner from power motorsports there's a huge selection of yamaha wave runners in stock right off with a new 2021 ex sport yamaha wave runner the yamaha ex wave runner is agile fun and playful get yours starting at 99.99 take your adventures up a notch on the new 2021 yamaha vx limited wave runner this durable playful ride starts at 13.999 don't miss the spring watercraft sale and open house at power motorsports in sublimity online at powermotorsports.com if your RV or trailer is sitting in storage or out in the rain this winter, let Guarantee pay you cash for your rig. Cash for Campers means no more storage and no more worries. My name is Bo and I live in Cottage Grove. Cash for Campers put over $10,000 in my pocket. We were waiting until summer to sell our trailer, but Guarantee gave us cash right now. Guarantee will give you $500 if we can't beat any Oregon dealer's written offer on your late model RV in good condition. My name is Jessica and I live in Springfield. Thanks to Guarantee, we no longer have a monthly storage bill and we have more than enough money need to remodel our kitchen. Trailers, fifth wheels, toy haulers, motorhomes, they all qualify for cash for campers. I'm Paul. Uh, We've been stuck at home for about nine months now. Guarantee made it really easy for us. No hassles. They came and picked up our fifth wheel at our house and delivered our check. Text RV for me to 55678 for special offers or visit Guarantee.com. That's RV, the number four, me to 55678. Guarantee RV is here to help you put cash in your pocket. Angry Beaver Grill is open for covered and heated outdoor dining as well as dinner-to-go orders Tuesday through Sunday. Get the favorites including Angry Beaver's Reuben and French dip sandwiches, burgers, tacos, and the Gables Recipe chicken bisque soup and garlic croutons. Be sure to try Angry Beaver's Choice Flat Iron Steak or Salmon Dinner, available daily. Angry Beaver Grill open Tuesday through Sunday from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. for covered and heated outdoor dining in the back of the restaurant and for carryout on 4th Street in downtown Corvallis. Angry Beaver, thank you for your support. 
Locally owned and operated for over 30 years, Corvallis Floor Covering would like to thank their many friends and customers for your continued support and looks forward to working with you on your next remodeling project. Stop by and see Wendy, Robin, or Brian and check out their large showroom with a wide variety of carpet, vinyl, laminate, tile, wood floorings, and window coverings from all the popular brands. Corvallis Floor Covering is at the corner of 2nd and Van Buren downtown or log on to CorvallisFloorCovering.com. Shop local, shop Corvallis Floor Covering, and go beef. We continue on the Joe Beaver Show. Mike Parker with John Warren. And it was exciting news yesterday to learn of the Oregon State cross-country team being selected into the Nationals after finishing fourth at the Pac-12s on Puget Sound on Friday. We had the opportunity to visit on Friday with Grace Featherstone, who has a big week coming uh, with respect to uh, the Nationals, the NCAA Indoor Track and Field Championships at which she's heading to, then the Nationals in uh, the cross-country championships. And it is a, uh, it was really exciting news to learn about uh, the opportunity coming for the cross-country team to go to the Nationals in Stillwater for just the second time. Are we safe? Is it safe to yeah, go now? Yeah. Because I know you were doing a little bit of adjusting and trying to get Kaylee Mitchell, our next guest, into a better sounding mode. I, I think we and gave I her enough time. Go. Yeah. Is it safe? Yeah, okay, <laughs> we're going to bring her up on the uh, the power, Downward Dog Sports Line on Monroe. <laughs> Kaylee, good afternoon. Can you hear us okay? Yeah, I can. Can you hear me? Oh, yes, you perfect. sound great. And congratulations to you and the team. How did you take the news yesterday? Where Did you have kind of a Zoom gathering or a team gathering when you found out that you were selected to go to the Nationals? Yeah, so we had a long run um, at 8.30 yesterday morning, and the live stream was supposed to start at 10. So we just ran from campus and then all uh, huddled up in Louis' office and put it on his computer screen. And we're watching the the selection process live. Um, we knew that it was in order alphabetically, so it got to Oklahoma State, and we were kind of expecting to have our name next. But then they listed Ole Miss, and so everyone started like alphabetically going through and <laughs> making sure that they came first in yes. the alphabet before <laughs> before us. And then um, Oregon State popped up, and everyone just kind of went nuts for a few minutes. I can just see it. No, no, that's an L. L comes before R. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, congratulations. Uh, that's such good news, Kaylee. Uh, you were the highest finisher at the Pac-12s, finishing seventh, and helped the team to its fourth-place finish, the highest ever at the cross-country championship. So did you feel pretty good coming out of the weekend in uh, outside Tacoma that you would be, or right until that last moment, there was a little bit of doubt, I could tell, when you didn't hear your name when you thought you would. But did you feel pretty good going into the selection show that what you had done at the Pac-12s would get you in? Yeah, uh, for sure. I would say I was like 95% confident that we were going to be in and maybe like 5% like uncertain. Right. Um, I would just be very surprised if a fourth-place finish at a Pac-12 meet didn't get you into nationals. Um, 
So I was expecting to make it, but there was still, like, obviously we had to go through the selection Mm -hmm. process. And you never know. I mean, craziness has been happening all around for a long time. Um, But I was pretty confident that that we were in. Kaylee, how did you feel running at the Pac-12s to finish seventh? You must have felt pretty good. Louie uh, shared with us the conditions were not ideal, although maybe they got better right around race time. What did you experience, and how did you feel running that race? Yeah, it was really fun. Um, I had no idea going into it what it was going to be like. I mean, this is my first Pac-12 cross-country meet that I've raced in before. Um, So I expected it to be a little more hectic than it was, especially at the beginning. The wind, there was definitely quite a bit of wind before we started racing um, that we noticed while we were warming up. But once we started racing, there was only a couple of times when I thought about it a little bit. Um, but I'm just, I'm pretty focused when I'm racing that I'm not necessarily thinking about like the conditions, mm-hmm. um, that I'm in. Kaylee, have you or any of your, your, uh, teammates ever run the course at Oklahoma state? No, um, I've never even been to Oklahoma, so <laughs> I don't know if anyone else has or not, but. I personally have, and I don't think anyone else has either, though. And, and and a follow to that is, this may be a dumb question, but there's people out there that don't really know the nuances of cross-country as far as the competition goes. Clearly, it's long-distance running, but on courses, does the course matter, or is it more the weather situation and the air in a particular place that you might be running that's different from one region of the country to the next? I would definitely say both can play a part in a cross-country race. just depends on the person, uh, how that person interprets things. Um, but for me, it's more of a, a course thing. Um, I think it's important to go over the course and learn what the ground feels like in different parts of it. And if there's hills, know what that hill is going to feel like or the downhill is going to feel like. Um, it's easier to control that than it is to control the weather because the day before it might be really sunny and then the next day it might be really rainy. Um, so it's easier and better to just kind of let that go and um, be okay with dealing whatever the air and the weather is on, on the day that you have to race. Kaylee Mitchell joining us on the Joe Beaver Show from just up the road at Sprague High School. Kaylee, what have you said? It's your first cross-country race. So tell us about what you have done but at Sprague, then when you went to Seattle Pacific, coming to Oregon State to compete. What events have you run primarily in your career? So high school, Kaylee, was definitely more of a middle-distance runner. Uh, the 800 was more of my thing, and I did cross-country to stay in shape. Um, but I did place fourth at the Oregon State Cross Country Championships my uh, senior year of high school, which I was really surprised about, and I was obviously very proud. Mm -hmm. Um, Going into college, I thought I was going to be doing 800s, and my freshman year at Seattle Pacific, uh, I had a really good cross country season, and my team and I made it to the Division II National Championship in, where was it, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Wow. Um, I ended up running and getting All-American status at the Division II level, and I think because of that, my coaches decided that I was going to be a distance runner, 
And I started doing a few steeplechase races. Um, I did two 5,000s, and I ran the 1,500 here and there. Um, And then I transferred to Oregon State my sophomore year of college between fall and winter quarter. So I, I started at Oregon State winter quarter of 20. 19 mm-hmm. or I guess I guess it started 2020 um, and I have not competed until now since then. <laughs> wow that's, um, that's that's an amazing run does your 800 experience ever play a role in your cross country or is that race too long and by the end of it it doesn't matter you don't have the kick or does it help that you have 800 experience yeah I'm still I don't know yet um the thing with transitioning for me from a shorter distance to a longer distance is the mental side of things. Um, still learning how to think like a distance runner. And so right now is a little different than what I believe will be in however long from now. Um, but I do think that that 800 background will play a role one day. Um, when I get the whole mental side down, that's interesting to me because they're two drastically different crafts. And, and if you, you're, you're admitting that you're not, you're just still kind of learning the, the, uh, the nuances or the, the, the part of distance running. And I, I just happened to, I just happened to watch with my wife last night without limits, the Prefontaine story, and they're out running, you know, training and he wants to be out in front on everything. And there, and, and there's all this conversation about splits and when to go strong and when not to go strong. There's a lot of coaching. I would think Kaylee that is involved in distance running versus a speed race, like an 800. So in one respect, you have a lot to learn, but in the other respect, you're a natural because you're successful doing something where you made a quick transition. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's definitely something I'm excited to keep learning about. Um, definitely frustrating at times, but it's also really fun at the same time. Kaylee Mitchell joining us. The Beavers are going to the Nationals in Stillwater. What is the plan for the week, Kaylee? When do you leave as a team and... What, what can you tell us about the rest of the week for you guys? Yeah, so Louie, Grace, and one of our trainers will head out for Indoor Nationals on Wednesday. Um, the rest of us will stay here and have a pretty normal-ish week, just a lot lighter than normal, I guess. Um, and our assistant coach, Moran, is going to kind of be running things while Louie is in Arkansas. Um, then... Saturday, we actually have a home track meet that the rest of my teammates will be competing in while Moran takes our cross-country nationals group to PDX to fly out Saturday morning. Um, Then we'll race Monday in Oklahoma and then fly back Tuesday. So one week from today, I believe it'll be on one of the maybe ESPNU. I think there's a live feed of the race at 9.50 Pacific time a week from today. We're visiting with Kaylee Mitchell. So, Kaylee, you you alluded to a track meet Saturday. What happens now when cross-country ends with respect to the track season? Um, do you mean, like, 
my racing wise or the whole program yourself yes what you're going to be doing but the whole program now what what's the schedule going forward at the with cross country being out of season and yet here you are and the nationals coming up then what for the team and for yourself yeah um i there's a lot of outdoor track meets on our schedule and i don't know who's going to be competing at what meet um but there's going to be competitions just about every weekend i believe it just kind of depends on the person at who's competing at, at what meet um so i'm i'm not entirely sure yet i'm just it'll be nice to finally just focus on one sport and not switch between three different ones at the same time <laughs> <laughs> what are, and what are you going to be focused on in terms of what you're going to run in the track season um, I'm not entirely sure. I'm pretty sure that I will be more of a specialist in the 3000 steeplechase mm-hmm. and the 5000. Um, I, I think I could be wrong, <laughs> <Okay>. but that's, <laughs> that's my best guess. You, you sound like that's what will be told to you. What do you want? Oh man. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I can even answer that question yet because I don't have enough experience to know mm-hmm. which is my favorite, but I do really enjoy jumping over the barriers in the steeplechase. So I have a feeling that that's going to become my all-time favorite. Hmm. Hey, Kaylee, last thing, and that is just your own. You're from up the road in Sprague High School, then went to Seattle Pacific and ended up here at Oregon State. But in your biography, we read that you were born in Germany and that you have dual citizenship here and in Germany. Born there, did you live there for a while? Do you have any memories of it? What What were the reasons that you ended up being born in Germany? <laughs> yeah, so my dad uh, is in the military, and he has been my whole life. Um, so he was stationed in Kitzingen, Germany, while I was born, and I wasn't born on a in a like a U.S. hospital, so I was I was born on German soil, which gives me German uh, citizenship. And I don't remember I don't remember any of it because we came back when I was still little. Um, but I did live there for for a little while um, before going into college. My family and I actually went back to Kitzingen, Germany, to show me like our house and where Mm -hmm. we lived. And I got to kind of see that now that I'm older, but I didn't have any memories um, of it going back there. Well, that's cool though. Did you enjoy the trip going back? Yes, it is. It is amazing there. I hope to go back many times during my life. (laughs) Good for you. Well, the next big trip is to Stillwater. So excited for you. I, Louie told us that many of you during the pandemic and the shutdown Meant he in it was his view and understanding that you kind of fell in love again with running and distance running and, and got a lot of miles and work in. Was that true for you during the, the uncertainty of the times a year ago when everything shut down? Did you find a rekindling or maybe you never lost it? But what was the, the early months and weeks like for you when you were sort of on your own in terms of what you could do? Did you run a lot and enjoy it? Yes, 100%. Um, I've always loved running and competing, but in a time where you don't know when 
like you don't really have something specific that you're working for in that moment and you're by yourself and things are really difficult. Um, it would be really easy to be like, you know what, this is not something I want to do anymore. Um, but it was the complete opposite. It, it just really showed me that I obviously do really love it since I continue to work through um, the frustration and, and the unknown um, and finding happiness and peace in it amongst all the chaos. Um, it definitely created a deeper love and showed me that I, I truly do love what I'm doing and that all of the hard work is worth it, whether I get to race or not. <laughs> That's beautifully said, Kaylee. Thank you for taking time for us today. Congratulations to you and the team, and we look forward to great reports when you get back from the experience in Stillwater at the Nationals a week from today. Thanks for taking time for us, Kaylee. Congratulations, and have a great week and uh, experience in Stillwater. We hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Kaylee. Kaylee Mitchell, Sprague High School to Oregon State by way of Seattle Pacific and to the world born in German on, in Germany on German soil. That's cool that they yeah. took her back yeah. to show her her place of birth. Pretty neat deal. Let's break. We'll wrap up the show today on 1240 Joe Radio. Hey, Beaver fans. Over the past several months, we all have come together to help each other in this COVID struggle. But would you know how to help a family member or a co-worker in the time of an emergency? Hi, I'm Todd Washington, owner of CPR Works, where we teach people the skills to help someone in the time of an emergency. I am currently holding both virtual and in-person classes for CPR and first aid. For more information or to schedule a class, contact me at CPR-Works.com. Go Beavs! If your RV or trailer is sitting in storage or out in the rain this winter, let Guarantee pay you cash for your rig. Cash for Campers means no more storage and no more worries. My name is Bo and I live in Cottage Grove. Cash for Campers put over $10,000 in my pocket. We were waiting until summer to sell our trailer, but Guarantee gave us cash right now. Guarantee will give you $500 if we can't beat any Oregon dealer's written offer on your late model RV in good condition. My name is Jessica and I live in Springfield. Thanks to Guarantee, we no longer have a monthly storage bill and we have more than an enough money to remodel our kitchen trailers fifth wheels toy haulers motorhomes they all qualify for cash for campers i'm paul uh, we've been stuck at home for about nine months now guarantee made it really easy for us no hassles they came and picked up our fifth wheel at our house and delivered our check text rv for me to 55678 for special offers or visit guarantee.com that's rv the number four me to 55678 guarantee rv is here to help you put cash in your pocket for auto glass solutions, better call the glass man. Call 541-760-2277. Call the glass man. Hi, this is Jake the Glassman. Come see me at my new location at 3335 Ferry Street Southwest in Albany or give me a call. For auto glass solutions, better call the glass man. Call 541-760-2277. Call the glass man. is now open daily from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., offering limited recreational bowling, lottery games, and food to go. Reservations for bowling are recommended. Call 541-753-6161. That's 753-6161. Highland Bowl, North 9th Street, Corvallis. We set them up. You knock them down. 
Hi, I'm former Oregon State athlete Tim Ewis, your Corvallis Edward Jones financial advisor. Financial investments are very important, but so are the investments of time, patience, and encouragement our young athletes receive from their coaches, teachers, and mentors. That's why Edward Jones is a proud sponsor of Oregon State and area high school sports. Call me, Tim Ewis, at 541-758-8245 or stop by my office in the Timber Hill Shopping Complex in Corvallis for all of your investment needs. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. Go Beavs. Hi, this is Dave from Tom Water. WSU Press, yep, that's the Cougs, has just published my latest book, Lewis and Clark Reframed. In Lewis and Clark Reframed, we will examine how the famous American expedition was influenced by the British explorers, James Cook, George Vancouver, and Alexander Mackenzie, all of whom preceded Lewis and Clark to the Pacific Northwest. Order Lewis and Clark Reframed from WSU Press, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookstore. Unified Insurance Group is your local independent insurance agency in Corvallis. They represent numerous insurance companies and specialize in auto, home, and business insurance. See Mike Eaves, Taylor Starr, and Tom Worth. They'll help find an insurance plan that works best for you. So if you're looking for auto, home, or business insurance, see the Unified Insurance Group. 320 Southwest 3rd Street in downtown Corvallis. They're your hometown team, always putting you first. Adam in Albany writes back, and he was the one who suggested that perhaps the one-three-one defense is extended too high. Thank you, Adam, for that. He said Craig did not extend his one-three-one as high as Tinkle does. I'll trust Adam's co- recollection on that. Yeah, because I'd have to go back and look at tape or think about it. I think that may be accurate. And he said not just the game against Oregon. He also asked, "Does Adam will two conference tourney wins be enough for an NIT berth?" That's a good question. I'm doubtful about the NIT because of the card said and about how it's a true invitational where the powers that be can say, Kentucky, what did they go? We still want them. Right. So, and then I didn't P card say I haven't been following the other leagues. Some of the blue bloods aren't necessarily going to make the NCAA tournament, which would then make them available to the NIT, which is owned by the way, by the NCAA eliminates opportunities for if you were, I think, in, in almost any other year, yeah. Even last year, the last Beavers year were, were, I think, about ready to go to the NIT. That was what was a, such a bummer about it is last year the women were waiting to perhaps host. be host and then maybe get to Portland, and then the yeah. men were, um, I think, almost assuredly going to go to the NIT. It looked pretty promising, and this year's team would be in the conversation in a normal year right, for the NIT right. based on the quality of wins they've gotten and so on. Two conference tournament wins gets them into the championship game. And in that sense... And 16 wins. It would You would think would have some viability for that, but maybe not with the formatics. I, no, and I but I can remember a time when a 16-12 and 12 record and an appearance in a league championship game would be right. a guarantee yeah, NIT. Yeah, just about. Well, thank you for uh, tuning our way today, for participating via the University Honda text line and the phone line. Hope that some of you will be able to see and, and take time to reflect a little bit on March 8, 1971. Wednesday at th- uh, 4. It'll be replayed on ESPN2. Wednesday at 4, Wednesday yeah. Wednesday at 4 o'clock. Thanks for that text. Thanks to all of you for listening. And we'll try it again tomorrow. Here's the microphone. Is this thing on? This is KEJO Corvallis. Everybody hear me? We're on in five. And QID. 1240 Joe Radio.